this point, every information portal is saturated with mindfulness content. But this show is a unique, unusual, curious take on mindfulness. Some of what you hear will be completely new to you. Let's dive in and take a look at the nature of the aware mind. I invite you to deepen your awareness so that you may be liberated and inspired. Today we are here with Sarah Vallely, mindfulness teacher, coach, and author. Sarah has been teaching meditation and mindfulness for the past two decades, training and certifying others to teach mindfulness as well. Sarah is the author of four books. Her latest book is titled Tame, Soothe, Dwell, The 55 Teachings of ESD Mindfulness. Today's episode is about how to contend with feeling overextended and overwhelmed, and also how to take a moment to notice and redirect yourself during moments of overstress and overwhelm using mindfulness. We get into these situations in our life where we just feel like we're overextended. We might be working too much, feel like our schedule is too full. We might be overwhelmed. It doesn't even have to mean that we have a typical job scenario. We might be working three jobs to make ends meet. We might have multiple children and it's just the way it is. So that's one scenario. Another scenario is we've created this life of being overworked and overscheduled because of our own patterns. We can use mindfulness to address both of those scenarios. And just a little review of what mindfulness is. It's a practice of either single pointed focus open awareness or a combination of the two. And single point of focus is focusing on a stimulus such as the sounds in your environment, the physical sensations in your body, the breath, which is a combination of sounds and physical sensations, or if you're practicing with your eyes open, looking at an object. And I always suggest an object from nature. Incorporating open awareness into your practice is helpful. And open awareness is being aware and open to whatever comes into your experience. Is it a sound that comes into your awareness, a thought? Is it a physical sensation that comes up and just noticing that? Jacob, you are so good at asking me questions about why does it work? This section is dedicated to you and your love of understanding and really just keeping going until you really understand it. What happens when you practice mindfulness is it activates your parasympathetic nervous system, which in turn soothes your sympathetic nervous system, soothes those feelings of fight or flight. And the way it does that is it releases a hormone that reduces your heart rate. So it might sound like a little thing, but it, it has a big impact on your mental being, your physical being, your emotional being. Our sympathetic nervous system, which is that fight or flight, it gets conditioned over a period of time. If we have triggered reaction to a threat in our environment and we have that repeat, then it's like Every time that happens, you're going to get triggered. There are studies that show that mindfulness will uncondition that sympathetic nervous system. And the best way to do that is every time you feel that trigger, take about five minutes, practice mindfulness, just kind of let your nervous system know everything's okay. We're going to make it through this. Do that on a dedicated basis for a period of time. Eventually your system will be unconditioned. So mindfulness does activate the parasympathetic nervous system and it does decondition 
the sympathetic nervous system. Why does it do that? Is it a specific practice? Or could it be any amount of just sitting down and paying attention? The studies that I read are usually, they're teaching the participants in the study how to follow their breath. They're using single point of focus and or open awareness. And the reason that it works, simply releasing that hormone that reduces your heart rate. It lets your system know everything's okay and we're not in a threatening situation. I love that because that's an easy sell to someone, I feel like, that that is a little hesitant about meditation as an Eastern you know, philosophy and the spirituality world and kombucha and avocado. Because <laughs> a lot of people I talk to, they're very skeptical about stepping into a, a world that is deemed as, as odd. But this to me is very scientific. It could even be recommended by a doctor. It's that simple, but that doesn't mean it's easy. <laughs> oh, right? we know that. Yeah. yeah. That's why we have meditation teachers out there to help support your practice and help you move through those frustrating times and teach lots of tips and techniques for moving into that space of concentration and surrender and noticing and awareness. The other reason the mindfulness practice helps support you to feel less overwhelmed is because mindfulness changes the structure of your brain. Specifically, what it does is it increases gray matter in your hippocampus, which is related to spatial processing, navigation, and memory. It also increases the anterior insula, which is associated with emotional experience, especially feelings of happiness and sadness. We feel less stress because being sad can cause stress. And lastly, a mindfulness practice increases the cerebral cortex, which is super important. The cerebral cortex is the outermost layer of the brain, and it's responsible for consciousness, thought, emotions, reasoning, language, and memory. Your memory, attention, and clarity in thinking prove, which leads you to be able to handle the stressful situation better, that situation of feeling overworked, overscheduled, and overwhelmed. They say that if you practice for as little as 20 minutes a day for six months, the structures in your brain show change. The minimum effective dose of meditation is 20 minutes a day for six months. That's the minimum dosage to change your brain. You can experience positive effects in less than that. I asked my wife after I was, had been meditating very consistently, if she'd noticed a, a lot of change in me, like she was like, I can tell when you're being very consistent and when you're not people around, you can be a very good judge as well. Yeah. They'll, they'll tell you. My clients experience a shift with doing a five minute exercise once a day. I use assessments to find out exactly what their challenge is and give them an exercise that specifically addresses that challenge. So if they do that exercise five minutes a day, they really will experience some shifts in their uh, stress level. And then the other reason that mindfulness helps us reduce our feeling overworked, overscheduled, and overwhelmed is how mindfulness affects our thinking. You know, what if you could for 20 minutes not get wrapped up in the thoughts that are stressing you out? Burnout syndrome is a real thing. It results from chronic work stress. You know, if you don't address your work stress over time, you're likely to have burnout syndrome. And that basically means... You're just shut down, feel depressed, lose interest in your job and feel exhausted. Another way to use mindfulness to address this type of stress is we can notice our patterns that led us 
to a stressful situation. And this is a really good opportunity to go to our blog and download the PDF that goes with this section of the episode. Find the blog post that is associated with this episode number four. Our patterning, our drive that pushes us to manifest this life of, of being overscheduled is driven by four factors. Having a sense of responsibility, another's fear, another compulsion, and the fourth aspiration. And all of these can be helpful, make us successful, but they also all can push us to a point where it's too much. And that's when the mindfulness comes in. During the day, we have awareness, awareness of our thoughts or actions, and we can be, realize when our sense of responsibility or our fear or our compulsion or aspiration is pushing us over the top and pushing us into a stressful situation. So the sense of responsibility, that can be due to pressures that you put on yourself, pressure that other people put on you, or it could be due to pressure that your culture puts on you. For me personally, I fall in the self-pressure. <laughs> like I have this sense of responsibility. It is because of my own doing. It's because of things like perfectionism and imposter syndrome. Personally, I've noticed that if I have two mediocre coaching sessions back-to-back, -back, my imposter syndrome is triggered. And basically what imposter syndrome is, you believe that you've gotten to where you've gotten just out of luck. You, you don't really have the qualifications. You don't really have the expertise. It's just kind of lucky. And one of these days, people are going to figure out that you're, you don't really, you're not really qualified. And so that kicks in for me when uh, in that type of situation. However, since I'm mindful of that pattern, then I say, oh, this is my pattern. I really don't need to go off the deep end here. Uh, I, I started feeling a lot of pressure once I got married to provide for my family, you know, to make it to where if something happens and my wife loses her job or wants to stop working or something, I want her to have the capability of not feeling like she has to do something she doesn't want to do. Meditation really helped me to sit and decipher, okay, I can break this down into very tangible steps. I just need to make sure I get insurance. I need to make sure we have savings. I need to make sure we're attacking our debt. I need to make smart investments. It allowed me to not just feel fear and feel like this like overwhelming sense of responsibility, like thinking that I have to do everything for the family. And uh, then when I just started looking at it, it was like, actually, we, we do okay if we're just a little bit smarter with our money. And that was 100% because I was able to sit and really examine what the contraction was around that experience. And then to say, oh, okay, I can, I can get out of this. I was thinking the imposter syndrome. I, I do believe that I'm just lucky that um, I'm very interested in exercise and I just study it all the time just because I'm curious about it. So I never feel guilty on the front end about how I've gotten my work. But when I do get uh, like a client kind of acting like they don't want to work with me, then I get very nervous. I'll kind of behave differently and I'll try to keep someone on. In reality, it's like that relationship may not work out and that's okay. But, you know, sitting has helped a lot with realizing like, yeah, it's okay if people don't want to train with me. Some people won't. It's not the end of the world. It doesn't mean that I'm a bad trainer. It just means that, you know, it, it's just not working out for one reason or another. It's helped a lot with those and, and seeing those patterns and realizing that, that I have contractions around these areas and then I can, I can soothe those with sitting. So what helps is to be able to identify particular circumstances that trigger this. 
So you had mentioned if a client of yours doesn't seem to want to continue with you, what, what might be maybe another circumstance that triggers that? If someone shows up and they just seem a little bit less motivated over a course of a couple of visits, I tend to get very stressed out and I'll carry that and be like, why do they not like me? Basically, what's going on with me? What's wrong? And then that will cause me to behave differently. That sequence of events triggers the stress, which then triggers you to create more work for yourself. Do you Mm -hmm. find that happens? Well, yeah, because if I have two bad sessions back to back, it's like these people are going to quit. I need to get more clients. Yeah, that that definitely has happened where I went on a accumulation phase of trying to get as many people as I could. And then I would get a bunch of people and then I would be very overworked. I was stressed because of the potential for lack of demand. Then I was stressed out because I had gave myself too much demand. Now what I've learned is that if I show up and do my job to the best of my ability and really try to hear people and, and, you know, provide for their needs, then the work comes. Yeah. I just focus on my interests. And when I show up, people want to hear about my interests and and then I'm able to serve them. And then it works. That's what happens to me is I am in this pattern where my imposter syndrome causes me to feel incompetent. It actually triggers me to give myself more work. (laughs) So it's clear as day, my own inner workings, which can be addressed with mindfulness are causing me to become overwhelmed in this way. Fear is also another motivating factor here for a lot of people. Fear of physical survival, fear of your reputation surviving or your ego surviving, and then also fear of your emotional and or mental survival. I have a fear of getting depressed. If I look at my schedule and I have free time, there's a part of me that gets worried that I'm going to become a little depressed because I'm not busy enough and I will schedule more activities. And then what ends up happening a lot is then I overscheduled and it becomes stressful. I can use mindfulness to instead address the depression or the fear of depression instead of finding a solution by overscheduling yourself. I used to struggle with the fear of the ego. I used to be worried that people would think I was a bad trainer, lazy or this or that and the other, and which was just all my ego. I just didn't want to be perceived as being bad. When in reality, if you let go of that idea and just focus on what can I control, what can I improve on right now, then it all takes care of itself. And I've learned that and all that's been learned, you know, but seeing those patterns of, I want to be regarded as a great trainer. That part of you that gets worried about how you're doing as a personal trainer is the reason you are a good personal trainer. So that's the part part about this is that pattern can bring us lots of success, but what's important is to use mindfulness to be able to pinpoint when it goes too far and it pushes you into these uncomfortable places. Aspiration is another driving force that might be someone having great purpose, tremendous amount of creativity, or feeling purposeful and driven on a metaphysical level. For me, I feel that my work is a calling. I'm very devoted and it pushes me to feel like I need to do more, working more and creating more. And I have to watch out for that. Aspiration is wonderful, right? But even aspiration can push us to the point where it's unhealthy. And I have to be aware of that and notice when I'm approaching that point. I will sit and be mindful about this. I can get myself really worked up in this tizzy about my calling to be a mindfulness teacher. But really, when it comes down to it, my true purpose is to take a breath. 
I don't remember what podcast this was on or where I'd heard it, but she was explaining that people talk about purpose and, and drive and things all the time. And she was like, just use your two eyes and look around you and see what can I do in front of me right now to improve the world? It's just like a bomb goes off in your head when you realize that like, oh, I'll use my interests to help other people. You're in front of me. I'm going to help you kind of way. One of the most inspirational talks I've heard was given by a gentleman in Asheville who runs a nonprofit that takes people on tours around Asheville to the landmarks that mean a lot to the Black community. And this is in response to the gentrification that's going on in Asheville and the neighborhoods that are just being destroyed. He said the basis of his nonprofit is that we're doing just what we can do right in front of us. As a result, he's built an amazing organization that has had a huge impact on Asheville. Within the scope of aspiration is creativity. And for some of us who are extremely creative, sometimes our creativity can be debilitating. We have so many creative ideas coming through that it's actually difficult to function. The last item here that drives us to become overworked and overwhelmed is compulsion. And that can be broken down into just feeling out of control, addiction, and being ritualistic. The feelings of out of control can look like unconscious action or rigid thinking. Being addicted can have to do with getting a rush. Some of us actually get a rush from being overworked or being avoidant. We are in our addiction because we're avoiding something else. And then there are rituals, uh, fear of breaking a streak, habitual patterns, and then seeing that what we're doing has symbolic meaning. If you would have asked me before we started, if this would be the one that I probably struggle with the most, I would never have thought that. But I've read so many people that speak a lot about discipline and consistency I have to wake up an hour and a half early every single morning. I have to meditate. I have to journal. I need to get sun exposure. I need to do cold exposure. Those burn me out quicker than anything else that I do. Um, I actually listened to uh, this brilliant strength coach, uh, Brett Jones. He had this podcast recently, and he was saying how he always goes with the flow. Every single session, every day, he just decides based on how his body's feeling, how he's going to train that day. And he said, a lot of people get anxiety by that idea. If you've been rigid for years and miserable and hurt and not feeling good, maybe you should try going with the flow. And if you've been going with the flow and you've not been training because the flow tells you most days to not do something because you don't feel like it, maybe you should try to be more consistent. That blew my mind. This is something I've just heard in the past couple of months. I will abuse myself with ritualistic behaviors though. I will say, I said I was going to wake up every morning and do this. Now I'm just going to do it. Yeah, that one's huge for me. I am very compulsive. I have to really keep a close watch on that. Yeah, and if you can identify how that compulsive or ritual behavior leads to more work, putting pressure on yourself to do more work. That's a really great moment to be mindful of during the day and giving yourself some slack. On the blog, there are two documents. One is a document that helps you identify these driving forces. And the second document is a log for tracking when you have these patterns develop in your day. So that's the final piece. Doesn't really completely work unless you do that piece, which is taking a moment out of your day and notice you're in the pattern and then redirect. And you can redirect by taking two minutes to practice mindfulness. Another example of redirecting is taking 15 minutes to go outside and take a walk. 
something that shifts your behavior so you can break that cycle and that pattern. And over time, if you stay dedicated to it, your behaviors will change. The Aware Mind Podcast is a TSD mindfulness production. Please visit our website at tsdmind.org. That is T as in tame, S as in soothe, and D as in dwell. Mind as in mindfulness.org. Check out our blog post for this episode with links to supplemental information such as worksheets you can use to put into practice the mindfulness skills shared in this episode. Also, please sign up for our newsletter and receive mindfulness tips. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at aware underscore mind underscore podcast. Thank you.